wandered so aimless, like filled with sin. I wouldn't let my decision. But Jesus came like a friend in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Well, praise the Lord, I saw the light. Well, once like a fool, I traveled alone. Worries and fears I turned for my own. But just like a blind man that God gave back his sight, I'm singing tonight, praise the Lord. I saw the light, well, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light, yeah, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Well, I sure was a fool to wander and stray. Because straight is the gate and narrow the way. Oh, thank God, a preacher came. And he told me one day, now I say, praise the Lord, church. I saw the light, well, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Everybody said, I saw the light, come on. I saw the light, no more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow inside. Praise the Lord. I saw everybody said I saw the light. I saw. Hallelujah now. Yeah now. Happy. No sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light, well, praise the Lord, I saw the light, well, praise the Lord, I saw the light. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, 
more jealous of the tradition of the fathers than all of his contemporaries, persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. One day this man was on a way to Damascus on an errand from the high priest to persecute any of those who walk in this way. But the Bible says that suddenly, and they say suddenly, suddenly, became a bright light above the darkness of the noonday sun. And a voice from heaven said, Paul, Paul, why dost thou persecute me? And he trembling, looked up into the light and said, Why, thou Lord? The voice came back and said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. <laughs> you know, something wonderful happened there that day. Came the course of Christianity. Course of the human race. Course of my life. And he goes, you know what? Well, he saw the light. He saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. So happy, so sorrow inside. Well, praise the Lord. I saw the light. Well, I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. Now, a little bit later on, Saul, who is now Paul, got himself in trouble preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Got himself in jail in Philippi at night with a sore back. And the Bible says that at midnight, Paul and Silas complained. Paul and Silas said, Oh, woe is me. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And suddenly, everybody say suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Everyone's bonds were loose. The keeper of the guard, awaking out of his sleep, supposing that the prisoners had been fled, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, but the voice of mercy said, Paul, do thyself no harm, for we're all here. You called for a light, and standing in the trembling said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be in thy whole house. Something wonderful happened in Philippi that day, and it changed the course of the New Testament. Paul wrote an epistle to a church in Philippi, Something happened to the jailer and his family that night. You know what? He saw the light. He saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Oh, now I'm so happy. No sorrow inside. Well, praise the Lord. I saw. Everybody say, I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow inside. Oh, praise the Lord. I saw the light. Everybody, I saw the light. I saw the light. No more darkness. No more night. Now I'm so happy. No sorrow inside. 
praise the Lord. I saw the light. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I saw the light. Let's worship the Lord. Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah.
first floor, absolutely. And uh, when you pray that way, when God honors that prayer, and there's a wonderful response to God's spirit, it's your spirit and your will. Right now, if it's tomorrow or maybe next week, then your Holy Ghost experience will always be a tomorrow or maybe next week's experience. I'm not, I'm not kidding you, you're not what I think or what I know. Faith is right now. You believe the doctrine of the Holy Ghost is for you and God's word is true. Unless you can find scripture to any differently, then you have to believe that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is for you right now. But some people don't believe. They just don't believe it. Some people don't want it. Some people don't believe in it. If they do believe in it, they don't believe it's for them. So we have to get over that because the Bible says this promise is unto you, unto your children, all them that are us, all us, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And be sure, no human being finds their way into an altar, seeking the baptism of the Holy Ghost, carefully with tears, unless God has been drawn in by His Spirit. And so, if, you, if you've been drawn by God, you have a right to receive what God has for you. And finally, the most common reason of all, the people don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost because they do not understand what it means to be baptized with the Spirit of God. They do not understand the working of the Spirit of God. This is not altogether the fault of the secret. It is more totally, bluntly, and honestly the fault of the hand. God's church and the leadership in God's church because we have not always taught things as carefully as we should. Now, I'm not reflecting here on this church and this pastor when I say that. And they go to start to agree with me. It's true. People don't understand things perhaps because we don't lead them to understand things. And that falls upon the ministry. But, beloved, um, a lot of times I've seen a lot of different things. I saw someone recently uh, in a revival I was preaching, the last revival I preached. The man came to the altar, and I said, would you like to have the Holy Ghost? He said, yes, I would. I said, how long have you been speaking the Holy Ghost? He said, four years. I said, good, great. Why? Four years. And he began to give me his feel, and I said, look, I said, listen, listen. I said, this is ridiculous. I said, you don't have to speak the Holy Ghost for four years. I said, but Jesus said, everyone that speaks it. Everyone that speaks, everyone that speaks, everyone that speaks. And you're speaking, you don't find it. Maybe you're not really speaking. Or maybe you don't really understand what God wants to do. Uh, but I've seen people come and, and speak the baptism of the Spirit and go through all kinds of contortions and work themselves. You know, if I do this for a few minutes, what if it would be worth it? We'll count it worth it if somebody goes home with a baptism of the Holy Spirit tonight. We'll be glad. And I, I find that there's these things that hang yourself along. And I said, so just, just trust God and lean back and believe God. And God said, with the Holy Ghost, God does. And he went home, and it was wonderful. Now, I've seen people come to the altar and speak the Holy Ghost like this. I'm not making fun, but, you know, God seemed to do it. Now, that may be a good tongue exercise, but that doesn't get you one iota closer to the Holy Ghost than you were before you started the tongue confession. Now, that is based upon the fact that people sometimes are literally expecting that Almighty God will reach into their mouth and forcefully manipulate their tongue and do this thing, do this to them. The Holy Ghost is not something that God does to you. He doesn't do it to you. It is something that God blesses you with. You receive it. You, you receive, you cooperate in union with the Spirit of God, and you flow together with God, and the Holy Ghost comes out of you. You speak languages you've never learned. Now, something about the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14. This could be going for a minute. 1 Corinthians 14 says, 
that's prophets and prophecy. And how many believe that prophets and prophecy, according to the Bible, are supernatural gifts? Can anyone legitimately and truly prophesy without God's spirit? No, of course not. But Paul made a statement about this. He said, he said, the spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. Even so far as to say is when there's three or four of you who get a supernatural revelation from God in the church, he said there might be three or four of you with it one at a time. So the Holy Ghost, what the Holy Ghost? I mean, Holy Holy, not one at a time. Because if God is not the author of confusion, so let all things be done decently and in order. He said, if God may be the Holy Ghost, God never made you do anything. Okay, how can you make God doesn't do that? I don't understand what I'm saying this morning. Hope you believe what I'm telling you. Now, when you repented of your sins, did God forcefully lift you up and bring you to the altar? How many have that happened in there? When you were baptized in water in the literal name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, did God grab you and, 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 and shove you into that water? Does God want you to repent? Does God want you to be baptized? Well, who made up their mind they were going to get baptized? And he said, I did. What about the Holy Ghost? Oh, well, I'm waiting for God to come and overtime me. Why? He hasn't never done it to this point. But make you think he's going to start now. God didn't overpower you. That's why people, I don't have to tell you right now, but folks, that's why when, that's why, it, I don't know whoever's caught up to this doctrine that when you run in the spirit, you're going to be with your eyes closed. That's not only foolish, it's dangerous. Somebody said, I'm afraid I'll get into the flesh. You get out of the flesh, you're going to have a funeral. Hallelujah. That's right. And so when we receive something from God, there's a lot of faith in it. I don't want to get a prophet talk, but that's why the Apostle Paul said when there's a tongue of interpretation, in a prophecy, he said, let the, speaking of the elders and the rulers of the church, the preachers, he said, let the others judge. They didn't judge. I mean, maybe this thing, maybe, maybe someone might make a mistake. Sure. Because there's a, there's a lot of humanity, even in the spiritual gift. There's a lot of attitude there. These things are possible. And God doesn't overwhelm us. And when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, when you receive it, there is a union of your will and God's will. And by faith, you believe what God's word says. God doesn't manipulate you. God doesn't force you. He never will. But by faith, you trust God. You love God, and you worship God in the Spirit, and you feel in your heart, I cannot decide this, but you feel it's better start than talk, better talk than talk. If you feel somewhere in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, something, oh, here's the best way I know to describe it, and this is, this is, this is kind of odd, but this is the best way I know. How many of you ever had a real good massage on your neck when you were tired and sick, in your life or your husband or your mom or dad or somebody was kind to you and they rub your skin? Isn't that a blessing? And they kind of took me to show this little sister here. And when that's happening, you know what I used to do? I used to turn my head back and kind of go, Now, Paul said, when I pray in tongues, my spirit is edified. But my understanding is unfruitful. Listen now, here's the big question. Speaking in tongues is not a mental exercise, it is a spiritual exercise. 
Somebody said, well, what's it like? You get a, I'm telling you, you have to bypass your brain. Here, I hear plenty of people on the plane. That's right. That's exactly right. I pray people all the time trying to get the Holy Ghost. Here's what they want. Oh, Jesus, 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 Lord, Jesus, 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 thank you, Jesus, love you, Jesus, 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 love you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Great. And that's wonderful. Those are wonderful things to say. But as long as you're going to say, Jesus, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, Lord, 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 Jesus, 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 God's not going to be able to move through you because you get yourself, you're forcing yourself to do something. You're in the way. Get out of the way. And you're praying things. You don't pray what you know. You're praying what you don't know. Hallelujah. My mind is unfruitful. But I'm playing with my spirit. So what's that like? It's kind of like a... Uh, instead of getting the sauce. Now, yeah, I'm serious. Now, think about it. When somebody's giving you the sauce, you go, oh, like that. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're expressing joy, aren't you? Aren't you? You're expressing satisfaction. Oh, that feels good. Oh, thank you. Oh, that helps. I like that. That's what you're saying. But you're not really saying that. You're just kind of going, oh, oh. Because, listen now, because what you're feeling feels too good for natural words to describe. And so all you do is just go, oh, <laughs> Now when you get the Holy Ghost, what's happening, hallelujah. Woo! <laughs> hallelujah. Now, when you get the Holy Ghost, what's happening is too good for you. Thank you, Jesus, and I love you, Lord, and that's great. Thank you, Jesus, and I love you, Lord, and wonderful, but there's something even more wonderful. It's when you, you shut off the phone and you say, I don't have words to describe it anymore. And you begin to speak in a language that you've never learned. From the effervescence of your inner soul, something wonderful comes out. Praise God. That's how it is, beloved. That's what it's like. God has that for you. Somebody said, I said, I'll give him the flesh. You can. He won't be God. But what do you think it's going to be? What do you think it's going to be? Well, there's only going to be a couple of options. It's either going to be you or it's going to be God or you. It's going to be the devil. It ain't going to be the devil. You look at Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, uh, those of you that are fathers, if your son asks you for a loaf of bread, you're going to give him a rock? No, the daddy said. If your son asks you for a fish, you're going to give him a serpent? No, the daddy said. He's going to ask you for an egg. You're going to give him a scorpion? No. He said, all right then, you, you're evil. I mean, compared to God, not the, the best of us are evil. He said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, Luke 11, 32, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to the mass him? And I, you say, what you talking about? There's two principal points of Luke 11. Two things, big things, number one. He said, it is impossible to ask God, the God of heaven, for the Holy Spirit and come up with the flesh or the devil or the world or your imagination or something bad. You can't do it. He said, you can't ask your Heavenly Father for something good to come up with something bad. Number two, how much more should your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit and ask Him? It's continuous question to do continually asking him. That's why just before that he told the parable of the friend at midnight, knocking, 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 until he woke his friend up. Somebody said, I thought the Holy Ghost said, I don't know, I'm frustrated. You just keep speaking, you just keep knocking, you just keep hanging on, because God will give it to you. You say, how come I haven't got it before? You probably didn't understand. But maybe, maybe if you've been listening close, you understand better right now. I wonder, hmm, I feel like preaching tonight. Hallelujah. But wait, but wait, but wait. No, all right, I'll give you. You think about what I said. I'm going to preach the gospel for a few minutes, and then we're going to open up the altar. 
Uh, the reason I don't want to open up the altar right now is we could, uh, could lose some momentum here. We can do both. We're not going to lose it if I preach the word. We're not going to go backwards. So, so we'll just stay with it. But you think about what I said. God wants you to have the Holy Ghost tonight. You can have it. And beloved, those of you who do have the Holy Ghost, you should pray in tongues every day. I was at revival one time with a man who said, I prayed for me for you, but I didn't pray for him, but I didn't in two years. I thought, oh, I haven't prayed in two years. The Bible says he was speaking on them tongues, built himself up. Is there anybody here so spiritual you don't need anything more? Is there anybody here so victorious of God you don't need any help? I don't know about you folks, but I need every speck of victory I can get. And that's why I pray in tongues, because the Bible says when I pray in tongues, I build myself up. I edify myself. I get stronger and more spiritual. That's why Jesus said in Jude 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So the rest of us should pray in tongues. Every time we get a chance, we should worship God in the Spirit. All right? Luke chapter 18. a simple message tonight, simple gospel, so if you want to stop at the mouth and jump through, you may have to wait for the altar call. But this is good stuff. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why call a son good? None is good, says one. That is God. I know it's the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and honor thy father and thy mother, etc. And he said, all these have I kept from my youth up. And Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, yet lackest thou one thing, all that you have, and distribute it to the poor. And you can have children in heaven, and come, follow me. And he heard this, he was very sorrowful, so he was very rich. And Jesus saw that he was very powerful. He said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? So it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Our Heavenly Father. Lord, you know that we love you tonight. You know that I love you. You know how desperately we need you, Lord, and how, how, how helpless we are. It's actually a wonderful, wonderful help. Oh, God. Tonight, once again, we, in our know, effort to be responsive and sensitive to the Holy Spirit, since you're leading in the course of this text and these words tonight, fill them up this time to what on the outside looking in. Oh, Jesus, for them, have mercy tonight. And for the disciples, that they might be strengthened in the contemplation of these good things in God's Word. Oh, Lord, that this, the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified in this earth, magnified, lifted up, that we would be holier, more faithful, more true, we would know the day, serve more completely. We ask all these things for your glory and that purpose alone, Lord God. Be real to us tonight and touch us through the preaching and touch the healers in Jesus' name. As I said, amen. So yeah, let's just our hands and thank the Lord for Peter. Shall Just tell him whatever you want. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to me. I love you, Father. I magnify your wonderful, holy, glorious, precious, thoughtless, righteous, 
soul-saving, life-changing, all-magnificent name, Almighty Jesus Christ, we praise you. There is none beside you. There is none higher than you. You are the only God, the all-wise Creator. You will be speaking of eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I think it tonight is very simply selling out. Selling out. God bless you. You may be seated. For the benefit of anyone who might not be acquainted with the Bible tonight, and even for those that are, let me say something about this book that I'm speaking from tonight. I believe and am persuaded beyond any reasonable doubt that these words are inspired of Almighty God. This book, even in the realm of ancient literature, has a very peculiar and unusual history. And as there are certain facts surrounding its continuance and its arrival in our hands today, it makes even the hardest part, if you have an open mind, come to understand that there's something very peculiar and special about this book. Now, believing that this is the Word of God, I believe the statement that says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That means, and this is the key to personal Bible studies for the saints and the rest of us, which will help you sometimes, that means that everything in this book, even those unusual, perplexing, and difficult places, everything in this book is here for our good. And it's helpful to us to give us something to make our lives better and our spirits to live eternally. So when I come to this story here tonight, I don't believe that this New Testament is recording just the historical events. I don't believe that this is just, you know, something that a day in the life of Christ. And here's who he talked to and here's what he did. I have to believe that this story is in here because there are principles and facts and points and messages in here that are vital to my survival as a child of God. And if I'm not a child of God, vital to my understanding what it means to become a child of God. The Bible says that Jesus was teaching as was his custom, and a certain ruler asked him. And he said, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? A couple of things stand out to me about this. This is the age of the yuppies, the dual income, no children people, and uh, and the wealthy, and the, and the self-centered, and uh, we could go on, but I think that we are possessed today of a spirit that is perhaps more self-worshipping than anything that maybe has been seen in civilization for maybe since Rome. It's been quite a long time. Uh, when we read books about the church, excellence and all of this, and I'm not saying these things are wrong, but uh, and positive thinkers become the apostles of the new age, I think it ought to be telling us something that mankind is increasingly in love with himself, and as a result is increasingly in love with success. And if I can be successful, and if I can make money, and if I can be honored, and if I can be worshipped, this is something that very, is very much in tune with the spirit of our age. So the Bible says this young man that came to Jesus was a ruler. It means he is a go-getter, folks. It means he is aggressive and intelligent and sharp and uh, had enough going for him that people around him chose him to be a leader over them. So this fellow that came to Jesus was no fly-by-night. He was no uh, half-wit. He was a sharp, aggressive, intelligent, capable, successful person. 
And yet he's saying, in spite of having all of that, he, there was something missing in his life. And he came to the Lord and he said, Lord, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he was ahead of a lot of people that are now in this time. He was encouraging enough to know that that is an important question to ask. There's some people I know who have never even occurred to them that they might be in eternity. Or they have occurred to them that they might be such a thing as eternal life or a reckoning with God. But this young man was blessed enough to have an awareness in his heart that he needed something more. So he came to Jesus and he said, Good Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And I want you to notice something. Jesus answered his question with a question. First of all, let me ask you a question. Do you know what to do to inherit eternal life? Now, I want to ask you this. Are you saved? You say, yeah. I mean, are you saved? Are you really saved? Do you know you're saved? Could you make this statement? I am a child of God. I am saved. If I die tonight, I'm going straight to heaven. And when I see God, he's going to smile at me and call me son. I'm confident of this. I know this beyond any doubt. I am accepted. I am beloved. I am a child of God. I'm precious. Right now, I'm precious in the sight of God. I know that there are people who have the Holy Ghost who have been baptized in Jesus' name who don't believe what I just said for them because they're laden with guilt that doesn't belong to them and they don't believe the gospel and they never paid attention to what Jesus said. But that's the most important question in life. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And I want you to know that Jesus answered the most important question in time and eternity. He really didn't answer it directly. In fact, he answered the question with a question. When I ask somebody a question, I ask, I want an answer. This young man asked the question, and he got a question. He said, what shall I do to inherit your life, good master? And the good master said, why do you call me good? And then he said it. He said, none is good. Everybody say that with me, would you please help me with it? There's a reason for this. None is good. Oh, beautiful. Do it again. None is good. Yes. I want began by pulling the props out tonight, young man. And unfortunately, beloved, that's usually where the Lord gets in our lives. He pulls out the scaffolding and as he pops down, recognizes you are and what you're not. You say, what do you mean, brother Paul? Well, folks, I'm telling you that this is a good young man. Everybody said good. He was a good young man. He didn't have anything on his record, even with the right to know and the Freedom of Information Act, you couldn't have found anything in his FBI account. He was a clean fellow. In fact, when Jesus said, keep the commandments, and you'll go to heaven, he said, I've kept all the commandments. Anybody in here tonight, I won't even ask. <laughs> There's nobody in here tonight make that statement. Kept the commandments from the time you were a child? Only one other person I know said that was the Apostle Paul. He said, there's something a lie, I was blameless. And uh, so he was diligent in his observance of it. It didn't mean he was perfect. But this young man said, I've kept all the commandments from my youth up. And then if you read this story in the Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 19, you'll see that he adds this. I kept all his commandments. What last I yet? Let me tell you something, folks. Religion doesn't save. Religion doesn't even help. And religion, apart from an experience with Jesus Christ, is dead and harmful. And let me throw this in for those of you who are so voraciously saying amen. There is no religion more dangerous and more dead than the Pentecostal religion if it's not real in your heart. There is no Christian phonier and faithful and better than a phony fake Pentecostal who really doesn't have a devoted walk with Jesus Christ. 
This young man had been religious all his life, but his religion hadn't gotten him the peace of heart and the peace of mind that he thought he needed and felt like he wanted. I'm going to tell you something, and many people, if we took time for testimony tonight, to stand and say, yes, Brother Paul, I was there. I was in church every Sunday of my life. I was faithful to it. I gave money to the church, but something was wrong in my life until I came into this way that they call apostolic, to praise God. Something was missing in my... I remember being an altar boy. Deo, omnipotentia, beati, marie, sempar, vergili, beatum, mitalom, ac angelum. Dominus Vobiscum, it comes pretty to the world. Praise and lady, little black robes, incense and candles. It doesn't change the life of a person without Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a fundamentalist, if you're part of the moral majority, or you go to the Christian cathedral, or just a little church down here on the corner. God is looking for a reality on the inside of my life. Not just a profession, not just some fooling around on Sunday morning saying, I believe, that devils believe too, and they also tremble. But will you know, O vain person, that your faith without works is dead? Yeah, I've done all these things, uh, and I've been, now why, why, why did Jesus answer his question with the question? Because the young man thought he was dead. Oh, a lot of you here want to say what I'm going to say right now. Some of us are struggling and wrestling with people that we love that don't have God, and we have paid for them, and, but, but we're just kind of, we don't know what to do. If that's if you're honest about it, when you pray for some of these loved ones, you really don't even, you're not even sure you know how to pray or what to pray or what to say. You can't feel it. You don't know how to think because they protect you. Why do they protect me? They protect you because these people are so good. They're too good for their own good. You see, it wasn't hard for me to recognize I need God in the life that I led. I'm not trying to give you speculation. I'm just simply saying I was very open and just uh, kind of old and I was more sinner. And I to And if you were, you could talk about habits and, and, and beef bottles and drugs and, and all kinds of uh, permissive things that you should exist in your life before you become a Christian. So when the preacher pointed his finger at you and said, You're a sinner, something in your heart said, Yeah, you're right. But there are other people, I'm thinking of a man right now that I know, I really love this man. This man is so good. He's respected by everyone he knows. He's generous. I'm going to tell you something, folks. This man who's not a Christian has better control over his spirit than many Christians that I know. He is kinder and more patient than many Holy Ghost spirit people I know. He is giving self-sacrifice and time. He doesn't cheat on his income tax. He doesn't beat his wife or his children. He's kind to everybody. He's faithful. He's loyal. He's honest. And it's just real hard for him to realize that he's not going to go to heaven on his own good work. So the first thing that Jesus did in this young man's life is pull the prompt down and said, Hold it, man. None is good. I want you to say it again. Say it again. None is good. God, let me tell you something. Your salvation is not based upon how good you are. And your damnation is not predicated upon how bad you are. 
We don't understand the issues sometimes, folks. And I find this is rampant among Holy Ghost-filled people who have been experience-oriented and not scripture-oriented. And we are guilty of that far too often. We are not going to go to heaven. Nobody in this world is going to go to heaven because they're good. And everybody just says, yeah, okay, I believe that. But let me tell you this one. Nobody's going to go to hell because they were bad. You say, well, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. It sounds like heresy, but we're just going to tell you something. In the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 3, you know that wonderful place where it says, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, etc. Whosoever believes in Him should not perish and have everlasting life. I want you to notice this. The Bible says, He that believeth on Him, that's Jesus, is not condemned. Are you ready? But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he's an adulterer, because he's a drunk, because he's a thief, because he's a murderer. No, because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. I want you to notice another one. The Bible says, He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth, John 3.36, abideth on him. You know what that word abideth means? And I think says remains. That's what it means. You see, folks, the central issue in eternal life is not how good you are. Some people say, well, I'm not afraid to meet God. Why should I worry about the judgment? I don't do those things that he does. And we judge ourselves by ourselves and we're not wise. We say, I don't have the excessive habits they have and I don't do the things that they do. Surely God couldn't send me to hell. In fact, I live better than some Christians. Many Christians I know, I'm ashamed to say, that there are many unbelievers who can truthfully make that statement, that they live better than Christians that they know. That if you're not in Christ, if you've not believed on Christ, the wrath of God is not a future tense possibility. It is a present tense absolute. You are under the wrath of God. That's why Romans 5 says, when we were yet enemies, People who have not received Jesus Christ into their life are the enemies of God. And the wrath of God abides on them. And it's not a question of whether or not maybe they'll be judged and go to hell because the Bible says that they are condemned already. The court has been heard. The case has been aired. Sentence has been passed. Judgment has been given. If a person is not in Christ, they are as certain of being in eternal flames as if they were there right this very moment. Very sober, I know, and I don't say that lightly, but it's true. The issue is not my goodness or my badness. Now look, the issue is Jesus Christ. No matter how good you are, if you're not in Jesus Christ, you're not good enough. No matter how good you are. So that means then that there are people who are very good who will not be saved. Is that correct? Then it follows if there are very good people who are not saved and there are very good people, then we're saying there are very good people who are lost, right? And so then it logically follows that people are not necessarily lost because they're bad. Because there's some very good and pure and clean and wonderful people who are eternally lost and will be eternally separated from God, and they're good. Goodness and badness is not the issue. Jesus Christ is the issue. The only issue is, have I made him the Lord of my life? Is he the reigning sovereign of my existence? Is his spirit living within me? Will it quicken my mortal body? Has God forgiven my sins? Is there peace between me and God? None is good. 
And so tonight, if I speak to anybody who rests in this false hope, and listen to me, Christian friends, the reason that so many Pentecostal people go around on a spiritual roller coaster up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down, because you never did yet understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't make it by your good behavior. That's why he died on the tree. You say, you think it's not important how we live? It's desperately important how you live. But we can't make it by our good behavior. And he didn't save us when we were trying. He saved us when we were at our worst. He died when we were unrepentant. And until you learn to rest in the cross of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, you'll never make one step toward real spiritual progress. That's a fact. You can say amen or not say amen. It's true. Until you understand what Jesus did for you, until you put enough trust in it to believe that when you confess your sins, they are, in fact, forgiven. Somebody said, how do you know if I believe, how can I tell if I believe the gospel? Here's how it is. When you sin and you come and confess that sin to God, if you walk away and you still carry that thing and you're still under that guilt, you're still under that condemnation, then you might as well be an unbeliever because you're saying, I don't believe the blood of Christ covers it. I believe my sin's too big for the blood of Christ. I don't think the cross was adequate for me. So experientially, practically, you may be saved, but experientially, you might as well not be. Because you receive none of the benefits, none of the peace, none of the love, none of the joy. And that's because there are many people who are who are, who are legitimately saved who do not understand the gospel fully. So Jesus wanted this young man to start on the right level. He said, none is good. So that really blew the young man's mind. And then he said, uh, he said, keep the commandments. And I told you, the young man said, I've kept them all. What lack I get? The Bible said, now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute unto the poor. You shall have treasure in heaven and some follow me. <laughs> and the next verse reads, particularly when you heard this, he was very sorrowful. He was very rich. I suppose that that verse was one of the most unappealing verses in the Bible to me before I was converted. But let me just tell you right now, for those of you that are wondering, stealing your wallet right now, this is not the norm for conversion in the New Testament particular case and point, particular example in this young man's life, the Lord had to get through to him somewhere. Let me say something to you. If you really plan to be saved, somewhere God's going to have to break through your self-sufficiency. Somewhere God's going to have to break through your self-sufficiency and get through to you, but you, you can't do it without Jesus Christ. And without a desperate dependence on Jesus Christ, you'll never make it. Some people who are Christians, when I preach like this, you don't even know what to make of this kind of preaching because you don't, you can't fully relate to that. But God and His mercy, if you hang in, God will bring you to that place. God will bring you and God will break you. God will bring you to the place where you recognize, I am totally bankrupt without Jesus Christ. Many Christians have to go through a second conversion experience very much like that. I myself did. Where we learn to stop relying. I mean, after you've been so bad, and then you come in, you get cleaned up, and the church teaches you a better way of life, and you live better, you talk better, you dress better, you act better. It's very easy just to suddenly just sort of shift your confidence away from Christ and onto yourself. See how different I am now? Look what I am now. And now your whole confidence is based upon how well you hold the standards, how well you carry it without flagging. Well, that's all fine and good, my friend, but you won't make it without Jesus Christ. You can't live right without Jesus Christ. And the holiness that he's most concerned with is the holiness that comes from the inside and expresses itself in the outward action. But it begins here and not here. It begins inside. He said, uh, but, but you lack one thing. You see, this young man, was he was dependent upon these things. He was tied into them. 
all of these things you said self the question is this what is it in your life that's bigger than Jesus Christ some people it's a husband some it's a wife some it's a job for others it's a home for which they'll sacrifice everything including family, children, sanity, marriage for other people it's prestige and on and on and on it goes but whatever it is it'll have to go if you want to inherit eternal life but Jesus told him sell everything you have and distribute it distribute to the poor and come follow me and the Bible says the young man was very very sorrowful there's something about being saved it won't take me long to finish this message now there's something about being saved folks and that's what I said to the young people who were raised in church the other night it's so important there's something about really having a meaningful experience with Jesus Christ it only comes to the person who has personally somewhere faced truth with God and made a very serious sacrifice. You're not saved by your sacrifice. And God, God strikes you with the palsy if you ever have the gall to stand up in a testimony service and brag about what you gave up to come to the Lord. Oh, I don't really want God to thank you with the palsy. I mean, the secret. If you, don't, you didn't give, you didn't lose. Paul said, I suffered, I suffered the loss of all things, and I count it, but, you know, you knew it, that I may win Christ. That's all. We didn't give up anything when we came to the Lord, but yet there is something we have to give when we come to the Lord. The thing is, you've got to, if you're going to have a Lord, you've got to have a Lord. Everybody wants their cake and eat it too. Let me just do my thing, add a little Jesus Christ to my life, and just go my way. Let me live like I want, talk like I want, think like I want. Let me just file a chapter 11. I mean, reorganization. Let me just kind of reorganize under a different name. I'll just change things around a little bit, but I'm still going to end up in control of my life. No going. It won't work. You've got to give it all to Jesus Christ. I remember what that was like because I've been there, folks. I've been there. I know what that is. I know what it is for the Lord to be with your life. I know what it is to be very sorrowful. I know what it is to hear the issues and face them and walk away shaking your head. When I came to the Lord in 1980, I was a professional musician. I had an earring in this ear. I had a lot of hair on my face, a lot more on my head. I was touring with the group, making records. We had a record pick here the week in London, England. And we had an American recording, recording contract, a European recording contract. We were doing live radio broadcasts, magazine covers, newspapers. I'd worked from the time that I was about 13 years old to get there. God began to do with my life. Like the rich young ruler, I said all, I said all these things. I got all these things, but something's missing. I'm lacking something. It began to bother me. I began to look for a church. Well, it's, it's, uh, sometimes it can be like finding a proverbial needle in a haystack trying to find a biblical church. And I, was, I was just a ranked sinner, but I knew that I wanted a biblical church. And that God, God's my witness, that's true, and I know that sounds crazy. I call fellows on the through the yellow pages in Boston, I say, Hello. Yes, uh, uh, Reverend Icicle? Yes, yes. Uh, listen, uh, this is Steve Poole, and I'm, I, I'm looking to change my membership. I've been stuck in church, and uh, that's not working out. So uh, uh, I don't know much about churches. I'm just looking for a church, you know, where they, where they talk about the Bible and stuff like that. And I had preachers, and this is a fact. I had preachers over the phone tell me, well, son, you wouldn't want to come here. 
And uh, I remember calling one fella. He said, well, uh, I said, do you believe the Bible? He said, well, we give out a metaphysical dictionary with the Bible to explain the miracle. Anybody in here know what a metaphysical dictionary is? Me either. I still don't know. I wasn't looking for a metaphysical dictionary. I was looking for a conversion experience. I was looking for something to change the emptiness in my life. I don't remember saying this, but my pastor says when I called him that very first time, he says, I said to him, I'm looking for something in my life. I don't remember that. But I was, and it wasn't working. Then one day, you see, I found coming, I told, told you pastor this today, one day I was coming from a voice lesson in downtown Boston on my way to a recording session, stepped into the Boston Street outbound subway train and found a started gospel track with a footprint on it. The Pentecost was that. Picked it up and I read it. One line really grabbed me. It said, no Pentecost is not a de- denomination. I said, thank God I'm sick up to hear the denomination. Pentecost is not a denomination. It is primitive Christianity made relevant to today's man. It's a primitive. I was intelligent enough to know what that meant. That meant like in the book of Acts. That means like, you know, way back in the ABC. You mean with miracles and signs and wonders and, and God answers prayer and, and there's joy and there's happiness in it and people are willing to die for what they believe? Wow, that must be real. That's what I want. Called the preacher. I said, uh, Father. He said, you don't have to call me Father. And I said, well, listen, anyway, I'd like to come to your church. I said, do you believe the Bible? He said, do you have one? I said, yes. He said, open it to Acts chapter 2. And he walked me through, showed me what God wanted to do in my life. following Sunday morning, I was there. Sat there in that pew. That pastor said from the pulpit, if you pool here. Now, that didn't sound like much to you. But if you've been going to the church where I was going, where they had all kinds of smoke and incense and candles and pretty pictures and expensive stuff, and where, uh, where you came, you know, you have your choice. Uh, you could go to go to church to 17 different time frames on a Sunday uh, for 20 minutes and uh, and do your little thing and the preacher would take a five minute sermon which is always too long and then you go home. If you've been going there for 22 years and had your pastor meet you in the back of the church and after 22 years have your pastor say to you, uh, "What's your name again, son?" You realize what it meant to me to go to this strange Pentecostal church with these strange looking people that I didn't understand and have a man from the pulpit say, "It's too cool here." Remember my name only talked to me one time. There was a lot about that church I didn't understand. A lot of things confused me. I saw people do a lot of things I didn't understand. There's one that used to have a tambourine, and tambourines itself was unusual to me in church. She used to take tambourine, and she would dance, and, uh, and she would weep. I mean, just about every service. And I found out later she was going through a crisis. I didn't understand that at the time. But she's there like this, and she's just weeping and loving the Lord. And just <clears throat> Well, I'll tell you what. I saw her crying. I thought this girl was emotionally disturbed. I used to call her Sister Sad Sack behind her back. I didn't know that you could actually weep and, and shed tears because God was so real to you that it broke your spirit all up. I didn't know it was possible to know Jesus Christ in such a close personal dimension that it, that it just blew your composure. I didn't know that at the time. But I knew one thing. I knew there was something happening in that pulpit that didn't happen when old Padre DuPont used to hit the pulpit. Yeah, Hallelujah. I didn't get that in CCD. No, sir, there was something special there. That man was thundering. He was moving. He was, there was something there. There's a lot about him that I didn't fully understand, and a lot about those people. Let me tell you what. Don't, don't get caught off on the side things, you know? There was something in that pulpit that was happening. There was a power coming from there that spoke to me. Well, I began to do my thing, and uh, now I'm going to have Jesus. Praise God. Raise my hand. All right, yes, nod your head. Okay, come to the altar. And uh, I thought that's all there was. And so I began to go to church every Sunday morning, which, is, uh, which I must say is still more than some people who know better uh, do. I was a rank sinner, 
I would be out playing rock and roll to two or three o'clock somewhere, and I'd stay up all night if I had to. I wouldn't miss that Sunday morning service. I'd come dragging in there. I was a mess. I looked like a mess, but I was in church, and I was so proud of myself for my religiosity. One day, Brother Sanford came to me and said, uh, "Hey, brother uh, Steve, like you know that we also have service on uh, on uh, Sunday night and on Wednesday." And I said, "Oh, well, thank you for telling me, Pastor. Um, I'll pick Wednesday." Well, it was multiple choice. I didn't get the idea. No, no, I didn't follow that. I was supposed to go to every service, you know. God began to deal with me. This time I was engaged to a Jewish girl named Julie. Beautiful, blonde-haired, rich Jewish girl from Boston. And when I began to tell her about Jesus Christ, it went over like a boiled ham at a bar mitzvah. She didn't want it. Then the guys in the band they got, a little, got a little concerned when I carry a Bible around with me to practice. And to the nightclub, there'd be a Bible sitting on top of my amp. Here I am. I didn't see the inconsistency of it. But folks, I'll tell you something I've learned. I'll tell you something I've learned that I wish a lot of us would learn. God deals with people where they are, my friend, to bring them somewhere. Don't tell me. I'm telling you I knew the reality of Jesus Christ in a smoke-filled bar. I can remember being transported, it seems, as I stood there playing my guitar and being carried out. I can remember, as a matter of fact, it was in Waterville, Maine, where Rick Stoops pastors. I played in a little dingy nightclub downstairs underneath a shopping mall. It's still there, probably. And I was playing in that nightclub one night, and I remembered that I just kind of felt swept out, and everything just kind of disappeared around me as I stood there with my guitar, and I felt the Spirit of God say, What are you doing here? Why don't you come out of this? This is not you. This is not where you belong. And then I was back in the middle of that mess. And God began to, he was dealing with my life all of this time, you see. But it's coming now to decision because it began to get kind of hot. And things began to get pressed between me and my fiancé. And, and it was getting sticky. And then that preacher, he kept preaching. Why would, why wouldn't he stop? Why didn't he lighten up? But he kept preaching. He kept preaching. And then one night he preached it. You cannot serve God and mammon. God and money, God and self, it's Jesus and nothing, or it's not Jesus at all. Oh, it got to me. It was so true. It was so right. My heart broke in a thousand pieces. And I grabbed that preacher and brought him into the prayer room and sat him face to face with me on a flat back wooden chair. And I said, Pastor, you win. Or God wins or something. Anyway, I quit. I'll quit the band. I'll quit my girl. And, uh, well, whatever. God wants me to starve. I'll starve. You laugh. That's exactly what I said. That's exactly what I said. I said, I don't see this. God's going to get glory out of my going hungry. You know, well, praise God. I mean, you ever think about applying for a job when all you'd ever done has been a rock musician? Think about it. Last employment, rock musician. That, that qualifies you for a lot, you know. Well, we have an opening for a singing custodian over here. Let's see if... Uh, you know, what are you going to do? So I did. So, so I broke her heart and broke mine. I told the guys in the band, I'm out. And we said, boy, that's wonderful, glorious. Let me tell you what it was really like. It hurt so much that I used to pray that God would let me sleep at night so I wouldn't have to deal with the pain. Do you ever feel that kind of thing? Do you ever go through an emotional crisis if you just beg God to let you sleep through the night so you wouldn't have to think about it? I remember walking the streets of Chestnut Hill 
the rich neighborhood in Boston, blinded by my own tears, just crying out to God, oh God, oh God, oh God. I'm alone, I'm alone. The only, the woman that I've loved is gone. The career that I've worked my life for is gone. I have no friends. I'm with these strange people from Kansas who come to start a church. They talk funny. I don't understand. They dress funny. I, you know, you sound funny, but really, I was alienated. That was not my style. I was like a fish out of water. But something was pulling me all along. I knew that Jesus Christ was in there. Brokenhearted. You better believe I was brokenhearted. Hard? You better believe it was hard. It's never easy. When you've built a life of sin and rebellion, let me tell you, when you spend most of your life in rebellion against God, 20, 30, 40 years, however many years it may be, you just don't walk out of that with no scratches on you. You made a mess. And you may have to live with a lot of that even after God saved you. But God in his mercy was kind and he drew me. But I know that very sorrowful because he was very rich. I know what that feels like. That was bad, and I know. Jesus said when, when he saw the reverse offer, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches. And I know the Lord would not object to my wording it this way. How hardly shall they that are had by riches enter into the kingdom of God. There's nothing necessarily wrong with being possessed of substance. It's a question of whether or not you are possessed by substance. He said it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. So the young man left, shaking his head, brokenhearted. He counted the cost, and the cost was too much. He counted the cost of real religion, and he said, I'd rather have the phony. And so he left, brokenhearted, and undone. But folks, it's too bad he didn't stay around a little bit longer. Because Jesus made a statement when this young man was just down the street, just out of earshot, Jesus said to him, said to the disciples, rather, he said, you know, too bad. Because there's no man who has forsaken houses or land or mother or father, and I'm adding a little bit here, you know, brothers or sisters, for my sake in the kingdom of God, who will not receive a hundredfold, manifold more in heaven. No, you're wrong. Manifold more now in this present time and in the world to come, life of lasting, all this in heaven too. We are so blind and foolish sometimes when we, we, we think the Lord is going to... We, we, we lament about what God's going to take from us. Oh, God, I'm going to... Don't make me give up that. Like a person with a quarter in their hand. Here comes somebody with a $1,000 check trying to, trying to get it in, but, you know, they're holding on to that quarter so tight you can't give them a $1,000. Come on, let go, dummy. I've got some... No, oh, that's my quarter. That's my quarter. I can't do it. Come on, i got some... No, oh, I don't want to lose my quarter. <laughs> Yeah, dummy, open up. Let go. What are you holding? You see? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he said manifold more in this present time and in the world to come last eternal. I'm going to tell you something. The girlfriend I gave up, well, one day I was in prayer, and I was on my way to a road gig. That means you're playing somewhere in the and I had the radio set to the Christian radio station and uh, AMSM tuner. 
And I had called a cab, and now I was waiting for the cab. Uh, you know, I think it's the order of events. It's a long time. I'm a little confused, but I called the cab. I was waiting for a cab. And I walked over just as I was getting ready to go, and, oh, I had been praying, and I had been whining and repining about the loss of this girl. Let me tell you something, folks. I, two, 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 two sides of this I want to share with you for our young people and even our married folks. If you would ask me, and maybe I'm different than other preachers, if you would ask me, Brother Poole, in all the time that you've been in the church, which is going on eight years, I've seen a lot. I've been faithful. The Lord's helped me. I've been in the church. I've seen things. In the time that you've been in the church, Brother Poole, what is the number one cause that you would say has caused people to lose out with God? I could answer without hesitation it is male-female relationship. Somebody believes what I said. Now, I believe that God ordained Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And we're meant to be together by destiny. She is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And woman came from man, and man comes from woman, and there's something wonderful about that. And, and, and what I'm, why I'm saying all that is it's not unusual if you want to be married or have companionship or love or a relationship. That's normal, and that's wonderful, and that's good, as long as you do it in the will of God. But it's not the will of God for us to be tied up hand and foot with unbelievers who don't love God. Hallelujah. And I hope I'm not, I hope, oh, Lord, I do hope that I don't, I, I hope there's not a Christian young girl or boy in this place and you are foolish enough to say, I can date a sinner and bring him to God. Please don't try it. Please don't be so foolish. Multitudes are lining the corridors of Hades that could tell you the story of the mistakes they made for romance. I was praying about it. You see, God's been dealing with my life for a long time. From the youngest age as a little boy, I thought about the priesthood. But then that celibacy thing just threw me for a loop. I thought, man, you mean dress in black and live with old men all the time? There's no way. There's no way, Jose. And so I was praying about it, and God knew that was an important need in my life. And I want you to know God knows what you need. So I was praying about it. Where was I? Oh, I was back in the room waiting for a cab, right? Okay. So I've been praying about it, going through this anxiety. And folks, I'm telling you something here. It's one of those wonderful things that ever happened in my life. I walked over to that radio, and I punched the button on that radio. And as the Lord knows, this is true, I punched the button on that radio, and here's what I heard. Boom. Get away from that girl. She is the daughter of the devil. If you want a good Christian girl, pray, and God will give you one. I turned off that radio, and I knelt by the bedside, and I said, yay and amen. I didn't really say yay and amen, you know, but uh, I said something very similar. And I prayed and trusted God for about two weeks later. I met this girl, different than any girl I'd ever met, Alice. I still have the little piece of paper she gave me when I forced her phone number and address out of it. I keep that precious thing. And I want to tell you, you talk about a hundredfold, folks. You take all of the girls that I have ever known or liked or dated or been acquainted with in my whole life and roll them all together in one big ball, and they don't equal one tenth of the wonderful lady that the Lord has allowed me to share my life with. A hundredfold and more so. He's met that. I made a sacrifice for his drought, but he replaced it with something better. That's what God does. I made a sacrifice, but it gave me something better in return. It gave me a wonderful, beautiful woman to share my life with. What happened about your career? Well, here I am. 
I'll tell you what, though. I, I, I remember one night we did a concert of a live FM radio broadcast for a big station in Boston. And, and when we were done, they called us back for an encore. Everybody was screaming. We were backstage. And they were all doing the spotlights were flashing back and forth across the stage. Jumped off the stage, Rody handed me a cold beer and wiped the sweat off my forehead. Then they ran us back and ran us back for the encore. We ran back on the stage, everybody was screaming and the lights were flashing. Oh boy, that was, you know, it was really exciting, you know? I'll tell you what. All of that combined is nothing compared to when I'm preaching the gospel and some good Christian person who really loves God gets up and says, Preach it, brothers! You know, all of those drunks who roll in their own vomit on the dance floor never did that for me. That's right. I'm talking about a hundredfold now in this present time. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And God has been faithful to me, and God has been good, and I wish that young man had stuck around long enough to hear the end of the story, folks. Because before you go lamenting about how tough it is to be a Christian and live for God, let me remind you, that Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The way of holiness is so easy that even a dum-dum can't err therein, Isaiah said. But the way of transgressors is hard. It's not hard to live for God. It's easy to live for God. But the way of transgressors is hard. And before you complain about what you're going to sacrifice, I'd like to remind you about what you're going to get when you give your life to Jesus Christ. You're going to make the best decision you ever made in your life. Lay it all down. There's much more I could say, but time is failing us. I love the Lord tonight, don't you? I appreciate the Lord tonight, don't you? Now, when you come to God, you have to... That's right. Thank you, sister. When you come to God, let's stand together. You have to make some choices. That's how it is. How do you expect to have a vibrant, powerful, rewarding, assured salvation... If you haven't entered into that in deadly earnest, no wonder some people's religion doesn't mean anything to them. They put nothing into it. They pay nothing for it. We'll sacrifice nothing to keep it. No wonder your religious experience is shallow and dead and lifeless and just a caricature of the real thing. No wonder when the chips are down and it's all coming unglued, you don't feel peace and security and power. And no wonder you don't. There's nothing of you that's in it. When you give all of your life to God, everything to Jesus Christ, whatever it is, and it isn't much, He knows how to take that. And that puts something in you. Why sacrifice is important? It's not important so much to God as what it does for you and your heart. Being examined for my ordination by the district board, Brother David Howell asked me a question that really threw me. He said, Brother Poole, he said, we appreciate you. We've watched you this past few years. Raise the hand of God is on your life. Somebody's going to ask you one question. This is it. It's ordination. This is a big step. I mean, from here on, there's no turning back. Shouldn't be. Now, Brother Poole, just want to ask you, have you given any thought, have you considered what you're going to do if it doesn't work out? I said, sir, he had like a little impatient with me. He said, well, Brother Poole, I just simply meant what I said. Have you given any consideration to what you're going to do if this doesn't work out? I said, what doesn't work out? He said, preaching, the gospel, minister. If it doesn't work out, what are you going to do? <laughs> when I understood what he said, I honestly looked at him and I looked at the brethren on the board. Without flinching, I was able to say, Brethren, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I have an answer there. Because I've not given one minute's thought to what I would do if this doesn't work out. 
Am I speaking to a child that God is frustrated with tonight? Tired, deep down, disappointed, and you're wondering if the sun will ever shine again, you'll ever have a rainbow again, will it ever work for you again? It's all gone in the past. No, my friend, it's not. If Jesus Christ made a promise to you, he'll keep that promise. It will work out if you stay with it. Hallelujah. I said I haven't given any thought to what I do if it doesn't if, <laughs> if it doesn't if it doesn't work out. If it doesn't work out, I'm finished. I'm a failure. I'm dead. I'm done. Because everything I've got is in this. And if this doesn't work out, I'm dead. That's how it is. Like Santa Ana that fateful night crossed to Galveston on a little wooden bridge in pursuance or in fleeing from Sam Houston. Santa Ana and his men hold up in a big fort, heavily armed, large munitions big troops. Sam Houston and his little band of patriots followed Santa Ana behind and said, okay, we're going over. And a ragtag band of men with more grit than ammunition crossed that bridge at night and they got to the other side and they carefully and dutifully emptied their powder kegs on the bridge, blew it to smithereens and burned it up. They said, what do we do now? There's only two choices, son. We either win or we die. And I want you to know when those Mexicans inside that fort saw the guts, if you'll pardon that crude phrase, of those Texans and burning that bridge, they came out, they, a lot, much larger army with much larger weaponry. They came out with the white flag raised. They said, hold it. <laughs> we don't want to fool around with guys like this. I want to tell you something. You want to know why you can't give victory over the devil? You want to know why it's always struggle and, and push and touch and go and up and down? Why don't you just burn your bridges? Why don't you just make up your mind once and for all? I'm going to live for God. I'm going to burn it all. Burn it all. Bury it all. Everything I have is in the gospel. Everything I have is in Jesus Christ. I cannot turn back. I've got too much invested. <laughs> Woo! Let's worship the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I give you Jesus. He's a peace that passes all understanding. Listen to this. I give you Jesus. My God of heaven. He's a perfect love that casts out all fear. I give you Jesus. Let's worship children of the Lord. He's the water that you drink and never thirst again. Thank you, Lord. Come and pray. Want to come and stand in a place of consecration and say, Lord, I surrender all. Glad I'm your servant, Lord. Glad to serve you. I'm not looking back, Jesus. Maybe there's somebody else here. Oh, give you Jesus. You've never yet made a decision for Jesus Christ. Why don't you come to the front right now? Children of the Lord, does somebody want to come and pray and stand here? Renew your commitment to God. Renew your consecration to the Lord. 
Hallelujah. He's a perfect Thank love. you, Jesus. That cast his arrow yes. me. Oh, yes. Now. I give you Jesus. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Don't you wait a moment. Let go. Seek God. God is here for you tonight. You're not ready enough to come right out. You're not ready enough. Thank you, Jesus. My friend. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, I give you Jesus. He's a peace that passes all understanding. I need you, Lord. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Lord. I need you, Jesus. I need you, Lord. Save me, Lord. He's a Hallelujah, perfect love. Let cast the battle field. Oh, I give you, Jesus. He's the one that you drink and never thirst again. Give you Jesus, my friend. I give you Jesus. It's a ship of your life, tossing on the sea of strife. You need someone. If you feel so all alone And your house is not a home You need someone If it seems life isn't fair And there's no one left to share All those lonely days and nights When things just won't Turn out right, and you want someone to care, and someone to just be there. You need someone. So I give you Jesus. He's a peace that passes all The perfect love that casts all fear. Oh, I give you Jesus. He's the water that you drink and never thirst again. I give you Jesus. My friend, I give you Jesus. Yes, I give you Jesus. He's a perfect God. I 
He's the perfect love that casts a spell all fear. I give you Jesus. He's the water that you drink and never thirst again. I give you Jesus. It's a precious all around. It's your spirit to the ground. You need someone. If your body is in pain and your health you can't regain. There are times that you have tried With all the strength you have inside And it seems that you have failed Remember on the cross he nailed All the bitterness and grief To give you peace and sweet relief For he is that someone that you need so high, give you Jesus. He's the peace that passes all understanding. I give you Jesus. He's a perfect love that passes out of
It's a fetches all around Put your spirit to the ground You need someone If your body is in pain And your health you can't regain You need someone If there are times that you have tried When sorrows think you have inside And it seems that you have failed Remember on the cross he nailed All the bitterness and grief He'll give you strength and peace for he is that someone that you need so I give you Jesus he's a peace that passes all understanding I give you Jesus he's a perfect love they cast it down.